Good morning, everyone. Man, it's so good to see you here on Father's Day to all our dads and granddads who are here. Welcome and happy Father's Day to those of you watching online. Thanks for being with us. Week three of a series that we're calling Jesus and Spiritual Foundations. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter seven. That's where we'll hang out in our Bible study time. Grab your notes or maybe fire up your journey app so you can take notes. If you don't have a Bible, no big deal. Everything that I read from scripture will be on the screen. So it'll be really easy to follow along. It's also week three of our summer of fasting for spiritual breakthrough. And I think maybe... Hopefully, um, that, that that's going well. I had a friend sent me a text this week. His family, including his 11-year-old, are taking part in the weekly fast that we kind of release every Monday morning for our, through our Monday morning prayer. So if, you've, if you're not doing that yet, I encourage you to get on tomorrow morning, Monday morning prayer at some point during the day. Check out our YouTube or social sites. You'll be able to see it. But his 11-year-old son and his wife had this conversation. He didn't even text and say, like, good morning. He, like, he just sent me the conversation. Son, I don't want to fast anymore. Mom, if you pray every time you miss candy, you're going to feel closer to Jesus. Son, I don't feel closer to Jesus. I feel mad at Pastor Christian. So, like, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it's going better for some than for him. I was playing golf with some of my friends from Journey this week, and we started talking about the fast. And, hey, how's the fast going? And one of my friends said, you know, I, I, like, I'm not fasting this week, but last week my wife came home from Sunday night prayer, and she told me, like, you have to fast from a staple drink this week, so you're either giving up Diet Coke or beer. And then he didn't say anything. And I said, well, how's that going? And he smiled at me and he said, I haven't had a Diet Coke in five days. <laughs> and then he whispered under his breath, had to drink twice as much beer. And I thought, you know, I'm not sure. I don't think that's what we're going for, but like, thanks for the effort. Um, so hopefully if you're joining us in the fast, it's like a positive thing and you're seeing some spiritual breakthrough in your life. But this month, learning about spiritual foundations, what are, what are we learning in Matthew chapter 7? Here's the premise of the whole series. Here's what we're pressing into over six weeks. We want to learn the foundational beliefs that followers of Jesus embrace as their spiritual worldview. Everybody say 567. Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' longest recorded sermon in Scripture, lays the foundations of the way of Jesus and of followers of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, what Jesus wants you to become. Matthew chapter 6, how you have to behave to develop inner spiritual strength. Matthew chapter 7, the beliefs that you need to have that will build a foundation that will allow you to make it through the most difficult seasons in life. Jesus will get to the end of Matthew chapter 7, and he'll say, you're going to have some years in your life like 2020 and 2021. You're going to have some weeks in your life when you lose people close to you. You're going to have a day on your life when you get a diagnosis that scares you to death. When everything falls apart, Jesus said, I want to teach you to have a foundation that will allow your life to stand strong. So we're going to learn over the course of six weeks, six foundations that allow us, not on the good days, but on the bad days, to still stand strong spiritually. And, and I'm just going to preface our goals today. They're They're tough. Goal number one as we start looking at spiritual foundation number three is to consider whether or not you should reject Jesus. And I mean that with all my heart. I believe that it's time for the church of Jesus Christ in 2021 to start asking people to reject Jesus based on his standards rather than to accept Jesus based on their own standards. Because too many churches have kind of said, like, just accept Jesus and let it be to you what, what it is to you. Like, he doesn't really have any standards. He just loves you. And that, those are not the standards of Jesus at all. And you say, Christian, I don't, I don't feel that that statement is the heart of Jesus. And I would, I would agree with that feeling. I also don't feel like this is the heart of Jesus. But it is the teaching of Jesus 
And we're going to learn it today, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. We're also going to see, number two, the keys that open the narrow gate to life. You say, man, if Jesus' standards are so high that no one can, that no one can get to him, like, how's it even possible? Jesus is going to give us some keys that fit the keyhole of not just the life worth living, but the eternal life that he wants to give us. So these are our goals today as we dig into Scripture. I'll just, I'll just tell you up front, it's going to be a little bit of a tough message, uh, but I think it's going to be a good message. And I think it's going to lay a firm foundation in your life that allows you, when relationally and spiritually things get hard, to stand strong in the midst of that. We always pray before we read Scripture at our church. Today we want to specifically pray on Father's Day for those of you who might be hurting a little bit. We've already spent time this morning praying with some of our team members that this is the first Father's Day they've ever celebrated without their dad because their dad passed in the last 12 months. Spent time praying with some of our team members who have never met their dads. And today is the hardest day of their year every year. And if you're here and you're a dad that's maybe living through some tension with your kids or you're a child who's living with some tension through your dad, we just want you to know that we're praying for you and we hope you feel the comfort of, on a day where so many people are celebrating, we pray that you feel comfort because of who Jesus is. So let's just stop and pray real quick. Can we, could you just take a deep breath, kind of settle your spirit into this moment and pray two things. One, just a prayer of confession. If there's anything that's on your heart that might keep you from hearing from Jesus today, ask that he would clear it and then ask him to speak into your heart. God, those are our prayers today in a world that is so uh, cluttered, chaotic, uh, discouraging. Lord, sometimes our hearts just get so loaded down, we, we can't even hear hope from you. So clear our hearts so we can hear from you today. For everyone in the room who is hurting on this Father's Day, for one reason or another, comfort their hearts. And God, I pray as we learn today that you would give us a heart to both understand and mourn what we're going to hear while at the same time being motivated to enter your narrow gate and trust you with those who don't and live with your heart towards them at all times. That's our prayer. Help us to learn that today. We ask it in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Only two verses. They're pretty strong. Only two verses as we go today. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 say this, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that lead to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. So if I told you we were talking about the military and I said the few, the proud, you would say the Marines. So we're going to take kind of the, the, kind of the staccato of that statement, the few, the proud, and the Marines, and we're going to unpack this text, these two verses. We're going to start with the many, the broad, and the destroyed. Because Jesus said there's two ways to look at life. There's two ways to live life. One is for many. One is very broad, but it destroys lives in the end. Enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many find it, many broad destroyed. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few people find it. This is the teaching of Jesus. And according to the teaching of Jesus, the majority, the majority of people who live on planet earth will reject him. Let me say it again. This is the teaching of Jesus, not me. And according to this teaching of Jesus today, the majority of people are going to reject him. You say, Christian, I just don't like that. I don't, I don't feel like... I don't feel like that is the heart of the gospel. I don't feel like that is the, like the heart of Jesus. And I would say it's, it's not the heart of Jesus. He died so no one would have to. But it is the teaching of Jesus. 
the majority of people, many compared to few, are going to choose not to live for him. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is not a fun two verses to teach, nor is it a fun two verses to learn. So most churches just don't teach it, and most Christians just choose not to believe it. We kind of just create something else around it that makes us feel a lot better about Jesus and the world that we live in, but it's an illusion. And here's what I would say. The illusion of 21st century American Christianity has captured too much of our hearts, too little of our minds, and it's made us question God rather than seeing and receiving spiritual truth, rather than seeing what Jesus is saying and realizing the vast majority of people are probably going to reject Jesus to say no to him. We, we try to change Jesus to fit the whole world to him, and, and I blame Barney. You say, who's, who's Barney? Like, like him. Like, I, like I, blame, I blame him. Those of us who have, like, kids under the age of 18 grew up with this guy, and he's awful. Like, you know the song, right? Like, I love you, you love me, we're a blah, blah, blah. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, so that's Barney. And when I talk about the illusion of American Christianity, we've bought into this Barney syndrome of American Christianity that kind of s- sings this song, God loves us, we love God. Like, we're one big spiritual family, like... God loves everyone, everyone loves God, like we're kind of all in this together. That is not true. That is not true. That is not what Jesus teaches will be true. Everyone does not love God. And as a matter of fact, Jesus says the majority will choose not to love God. They don't want to live according to his standards. And those who believe this, those who believe that everyone's going to be saved, those who believe that everyone should be saved, they believe contrary to what Jesus is teaching today. And they paint a really terrible picture of what becoming a follower of Jesus looks like because they don't like the box that Jesus gives us to live in. They just, they try to change the box, but Jesus has not given us permission to do that. And we create something that is not only less than Christianity, but because it's pseudo-Christianity, people don't even realize that they're living in a box that's taking them the wrong direction. Pastor John MacArthur says about this text and the broad road, the way that is broad is the easy, attractive, inclusive, indulgent, permissive, and self-oriented way of the world. There are few rules, few restrictions, few requirements. All you need to do is profess Jesus or at least be religious, and you're readily accepted into that large and diverse group. Sin is tolerated. Truth is moderated. Humility is ignored. If that is rain, thank you, Jesus, in Jesus' name for the rain in Kansas City. It's been so hot and miserable. God's word is praised but not studied. His standards are admired but not followed. This way requires no spiritual maturity, no moral character, no commitment, no sacrifice. It's the easy way of floating downstream. It's the tragic way, which seems right to a man, but whose end is the way of death. I rarely put a full quote on your sermon notes because it takes up too much paper, but I thought you should have this one because we are inviting people, unfortunately, in too many churches today to accept a Jesus that has no standards, which is not a Jesus at all. And folks, I will say this, it's, it's unfair to people who might really want to follow Jesus, to invite them to follow Jesus and not tell them how. It's not fair. 
It would be like me showing up to a new school with my son when he's a junior in high school, like the last day of school on May, and saying, hey, I want to talk to the football coach, and finding the football coach and say, hey, son, my uh, coach, my son plays football, and um, like he, he wants to be ready next fall to play on the first Friday night. Like, what do we need to do for him to be on the field for the first varsity football game on Friday night? And the coach says, man, just like, just show up. Here's when our first game is. We'd love to have him as a part of the team. And then he shows up for that first game and doesn't get on the field. And you're like, coach, how come my, how come my kid didn't get to play? And coach said, because the only way you play in this program is to be here for summer workouts and to be here for summer conditioning and to watch film and to be here for two-a-days. Like, no one who doesn't meet those standards is going to play on Friday night. You would, if you were a parent, say, you didn't tell us that and that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair that you would tell me to show up but not give me the standards that it took to be a part of the team. That's not fair. You should have at least let me choose whether or not I wanted to do that. That's not fair. And at the end of Matthew chapter 7 and verses 21 and 22, Jesus said a lot of people are going to show up one day in heaven and say, wait a minute, like I thought I was a follower of yours. Someone just told me to show up here when I died. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. You never knew me. You never followed me. Someone did not tell you the whole truth. And I do not want to be a pastor that sends people to heaven on the first day of their eternal life, but doesn't tell them what it takes in their relationship with Jesus to play by his rules. Amen. So the Barney syndrome said, like, just come to Jesus, like, everything will be okay. But it's not fair to not tell people the standards that Jesus has. Because the story of the Bible is a story of people following God and rejecting God. And usually those are people in the exact same family. I called it perfection destroyed. When you look at the list of seven names in white, these are our spiritual forefathers. We would not be where we are today without these men leading spiritually in Israel to, to get Israel to the point where the Messiah could come to them. The names listed in yellow are all of their sons who said, Dad, I don't worship your God. Dad, I don't want to follow your God. These are the spiritual patriarchs of our faith whose sons said, I don't want any part of it. Dads who accepted, sons who rejected. Adam had two sons to begin with, Cain and Abel. One of his sons, Cain, said, I'm not interested in following your God. Noah had three sons. One of his sons, Ham, said, I'm not interested in following your God. Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael said, I'm not interested in following your God. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau said, I'm not interested in following your God. Jacob had 12 sons. I just put most so you wouldn't have to write all the names down. Like two of them. Joseph and Judah, we think, probably ended their life well. Most did not. Aaron, the first high priest of Israel to stand before the people and God, his oldest two sons didn't worship God like their dad. And David, the king of Israel, had a son named Absalom. Interesting name in the Hebrew, Abishalom. It means son of peace, who would be the son of terror to his dad, try to kill his dad and take his throne. All of these spiritual forefathers had kids who walked away from the faith, but none of these spiritual forefathers said, I will change the rules so you can fit in or I will quit too if you don't love God. And we're living in a Christian culture where that often is the response of people to to people who reject Jesus and his standards. You say, well, hang on. We'll either change the standards or I'll walk away too. We're in this together. It's a picture of spiritual perfection on the left that was destroyed by family members who said, "I I I don't want it. I don't want to follow God. You say, how did these guys on the left make it? Same way you would make it? Heartbroken? Probably a lot of tears. 
Probably some anger. Probably a lot of questions. Probably a lot of sleepless nights. Probably tremendous discouragement. Probably they cried themselves to sleep more nights than they could think of, probably, especially like after they had spent time together as a family. But they didn't walk away from God and they didn't try to change his standards. They just developed this trust of God and love of people. You say, man, what a, what a sad book if that's the story of the Bible. It was, but perfection destroyed became perfection discovered with Jesus because the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament in the Bible that we have today in Christian churches, ended with two verses that said perfection has been destroyed and families are being ripped apart because not everyone says yes to Jesus. Someone's coming who's going to change that. In Malachi 4, 5, and 6, the last two verses of the Hebrew Bible, after we see perfection destroyed and families ripped apart spiritually, the prophet Malachi says, see, I'm going to send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He's going to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. He said, listen, before like everything is all said and done, somebody's going to come who's going to change hearts. And even though families forever have been ripped apart, parents are going to learn how to love their children, even if their children don't love God. And children are going to learn how to love their parents. And maybe both of them will learn to love God together. Like someone is coming who will give hope to the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. But what we learn in Scripture is you've got to choose him. Jesus is the hope of the world, but the will of the world is free. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 19, Moses sets before Israel two choices. You can choose life or you can choose death. It's on, like, God's given you a choice. you got to choose. In Joshua 24, Joshua, about 100 years later, says the exact same thing to another generation of people. I, I've decided how I'm going to live my life. You all are going to have to decide how you live life. God has given you a choice. The choice is yours. Several hundred years later, a prophet named Elijah would say the exact same thing. In 1 Kings chapter 18, he would stand before the nation of Israel and say, you all have to choose. Either follow God or don't follow him, but make a decision, make a choice. So Jesus is the hope of the world, but the will of the world is free. Here's how Moses put it in Deuteronomy 13, 19. This day I call heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses, so choose life. I've given you a choice, but you've got to choose. The hope of the world is Jesus, but the will of man is free. And what Jesus is teaching us today is the choice of most is going to be No. Most will choose no. Jesus is the hope of the world. And anyone, who can, anyone can choose him who wants to. But most will not. There's no better place to look in the Bible than the greatest text in Scripture that tells us how much God loves the world that reaffirms these three points, John 3, 16 through 19. You know this verse. It's the one they hold up between the goalposts at Chief Stadium when they're kicking extra points. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's good news. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. That's, that's great news, but the teaching is not over. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Jesus is the hope of the world, but people are going to have to choose. And some will choose yes, and some will choose no. Most will choose no. Here's the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Jesus is the hope of the world. Everyone has an opportunity to choose him. Most will not. And we are not the first generation of Christianity that desires the whole world to be saved, but we are the first one to begin to question the heart of God because they're not, to begin to change the standards of God because 
they're not. To begin to rewrite scripture because they're not. Jesus' teaching on this is very clear. It's heavy, but it's clear. And like I said before, I'll say it again. I think it's time for the church to ask people to reject Jesus on his standards rather than trying to accept him based on their own standards because only that will bring true salvation. Only that will bring transformation. Only that will bring forgiveness. Only that will bring eternal life. And I just think we have to tell people the truth and let them decide because it's what we do in every other area. I mean, the apostle Paul writing to Timothy about how you follow Jesus, Timothy's like in every area of life, you follow people well. Why should it be less with Jesus? Look at how Paul teaches this to Timothy. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. They try to please their commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete doesn't receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. So reflect on this. Reflect on what I'm saying for the Lord's going to give you insight into all this. Paul's saying, Timothy, think about this. Think about this. Like no one who's in the military has their drill sergeant walk in at 6 a.m. and say, everyone up. And they look at him and say, 15 more minutes. Like, I'm really tired. No one has a drill sergeant that says, drop and give me 20, who's like, you know, I did push-ups yesterday. And like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I can't do it. No one would do that. Similarly, no one's going to have a coach that they respect who blows the whistle and tells the team line up. And they're like, no, coach, like, I'm, t- I'm not going to do that. I'm tired. No one's going to have a coach that says, do the drill this way, and they do it a different way. Like, I played for some coaches who would physically assault me back in the 90s when that was, like, still allowed. If, if like, a coach said, do this, and I was like, you know, I think I'd rather do it another way. And Paul says, Timothy, how can you give so much respect to a military officer and so much respect to a coach, but say to the Savior of the world when he says, do this, "Mm, I'll think about it. Timothy. You can't do that. If you follow Jesus, he's the one you follow. He's the one who gives you some direction, so follow him well. You do it in every area of life. Why would you not do it spiritually? That doesn't even make sense. I gave this portion of my message to Danielle this week and said, hey, what do you think? And she, the word she used, she said, ouch. That may be the worst Father's Day message like, like ever, like like. Everyone's going to hell. Happy Father's Day. We're so glad you came. Go get some Cracker Jack. She's like, is there, is there more? Like, is there any hope in this message? And I said, there is. this is the truth. But yes, there's hope. The few, the proud, the Marines, the, the many, the broad, the destroyed. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. He tells us about the few and the narrow and the life. Yes, he gives us hope. Same two verses, but we focus now on verse 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many are going to enter through it, the many, the broad, the destroyed. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few are going to find it, the narrow and the few and the life. My goal today is to help you find the keys to the narrow gate. You say, I want life. I want the life that Jesus has for me. I want the eternal life that Jesus has for me. How do I get that? I'm going to give you five keys, two of them, I would call philosophical beliefs. Two of them are kind of foundational worldview beliefs about what we believe about God and humanity. Three of them are actually the keys you will pull out of your pocket when you get to the narrow gate that will help you move through it in life. So what are the five keys? Number one, we believe the gate is open to anybody who wants to pass through it. Jesus said there's two gates and anyone, anyone who wants to pass through either one can pass through either one. 
I hear people all the time say, Christian, I just don't understand how God could reject somebody. And I say, whoa, 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 whoa. My theology tells me that God so loved the world that anyone who wanted to come to him could. My theology tells me that people reject God, not that God rejects people. My theology tells me that Jesus died for the whole world and that anyone who wants to follow him can, but it tells me that many people will reject him. But my foundational belief is that the gate to Jesus is open to anybody who wants to follow it. And not, nobody can change my mind about that. Jesus said, I love the world. I desire all men to be saved. They won't all be saved, but I wish they would. The gate, the gate is open to anybody who's willing to pass through it on Jesus' standards. Key number two, the gate's hard to find, so we have to point people towards it. Jesus said, the gate's small, the road is narrow, and only a few people can find it. So Christians believe one of the things that we are supposed to help people do is find the gate to Jesus. I actually believe this is the heart of the American church. I think our hearts are right and our directions are bad. I think we, because we love Jesus and we have found Jesus and we so desperately want everyone else to experience Jesus, like our heart is saying, I want to help you find Jesus, but our hands are pointing to the broad gate and saying, just figure out your way through it like Jesus is good with you and everyone and you, like you just need him in your life. Our hearts are good, our directions are bad. So I think we know we have to help people find it. We want to help people find it. We're just unwilling to point to the narrow gate because we're afraid they'll reject it. I think because we're afraid they'll reject us and we're afraid of the tension that will bring in, in our relationship with God and in our relationship with people. But foundationally, we believe the gate's open to anyone who wants to pass through it according to Jesus' standards. And we believe it's our role to kind of point people towards the gate. Okay, so they get to the gate and they've got to choose whether or not they pass through. What are the keys that are going to help them connect to Jesus? Three of them. Number one, surrender. The third key is surrender. In Mark 8, 34 and 35, Jesus said, anyone who follows me must take up, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Anyone who decides to follow me must surrender their rights and their right to their life and they must follow me. It's surrender. You say, what does surrender look like? It's asking Jesus what he wants from you and then giving it to him. It is every area of life. One of the easiest to kind of point out because in scripture it's taught back to back um, is, is the area of finances. It's not a finance message, but it's an, there's an easy picture of non-surrender and surrender in the area of finances. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus has a conversation with a guy in scripture who's only known as the rich young ruler. We don't learn his name. Guy comes to Jesus, says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, keep the commandments. And he's like, I do keep all the commandments. That's like, yes. And Jesus said, the only thing you lack is really your money is your God. So surrender your money, give it to the poor and come and follow me. I guess I can't do that. I cannot like I'm willing to give you a lot of things. I'm not willing to surrender everything. I cannot surrender my money to you. I'm out. And he walked away. And the disciples were like, how's anyone who has money going to be able to go to heaven? It's so hard to surrender. The very next chapter, Luke introduces us to a man named Zacchaeus, also very wealthy. He made, he made his money by stealing it from people. And he also meets Jesus and has a connection with Jesus. And we don't know the conversation that they had, but my, my guess is it's similar because of how Luke put it in his text back to back. Because after having lunch with Jesus, Zacchaeus busts out of the door of his house and he's like, I've surrendered all my money. 
And anything that I've stolen from you, I'm going to give it back times four. Jesus has my whole heart, which means he has all my Like That's what surrender is. I've given everything to Jesus in every area. Christianity does not work if you're not willing to surrender everything and follow Jesus. It's one of the keys that helps you follow Jesus, but you can't do surrender without key number four, which is trust. Because you have to trust that Jesus is not going to ask you to give up something that like forever will damage you spiritually. I think Deuteronomy 29, 29 is a verse that every Christian should be familiar with because I think it's the only verse in the Bible that answers all the questions that can't be answered. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, Moses said this, the secret things belong to God. The things that have been revealed belong to us and our kids. Say, what does that mean? That means the things that you can never explain, the things that the Bible doesn't speak to, the hard scenarios in life that never make sense, those secret things. You just have to trust God with those. You're just going to have to trust God with those. The things the Bible says, do them, teach them to your kids. All the areas where there's not clear direction on your specific area, you just have to trust God. It's like, how do I do that? Study him enough to learn his nature, really believe that he's good, really believe that he's eternal, and just one day at a time try to trust him. I love this text in Luke 9, 58. Somebody comes up to Jesus and they're like, hey, I'm considering following you, but tell me what my life will look like if I do. And Jesus said, can't do that. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but I'm not going to tell you today where every step of your life will end up. I just need you to trust me. Just follow me. You'll find out. But it'll be better than where you would end up on your own. But you got to trust me. Do you trust Jesus like that? See, so many of us won't follow Jesus until he tells us the final steps when what he wants is us to just trust him with the first steps. Just follow me today and let's see where it gets you tomorrow. Then follow me tomorrow and we'll see where it gets you on the third day. And one day at a time, we just trust and it takes trust for key number five to be obedient because it's really hard to do what God asks us to do if we don't trust him that he's going to take care of us in every area. In John 14, verses 21 and 23, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples, and he said, here's how I know who really loves me. They obey my commandments. And then he says in verse 23 again, everyone who loves me follows my commands. You say, what happened to verse 22? Somebody ask a question. In 14, 21, Jesus said, here's how you can tell who really loves me. They obey me. And somebody said, is there another way? Is there another way? show our love. And Jesus said, no, those who keep my commands are the ones who prove they really love me. You say, who asked that question? His name was Judas. And anytime you find yourself hearing Jesus say, here's how I want you to live your life to follow me. And you say, is there another way? You remember you weren't the first guy to ask that question. And the first guy who asked that question is not someone you want to be like spiritually. However, Judas is going to play a pretty important role in this message when we get down the road a few minutes. You say, I want to get through the narrow gate. It's open. You can. It's your choice. It's hard to find. So we got to help people we love at least get to it. But once they get to it, they got to surrender. They got to trust. They got to be obedient or it's going to be really hard to go through. You say, what if the people in my life who are closest to me don't? What if they reject Jesus? What if they say, I'm not going to surrender. I can't trust. I'm unwilling to obey. What if, it's, what if it's my son? What if it's my daughter? What if it's my husband? What if it's my wife? What if, like, what if it's my parents? What if, what, how, do, how do I live life relationally loving God 
and loving people who have rejected God? That's a great question. That's where we're going to end today. Learning how to love those who are lost. Learning how to love those who have rejected Jesus for now. It's also what I call dad life because this list of learning how to love people well on a Father's Day, this is how all dads should love their kids and their grandkids forever. This list that I'm going to give you, this is how Christian dads should love their kids and their grandkids forever. So what do we do? Number one, model and discuss the life of a Jesus follower as often as you can. Tell people why you do what you do. Deuteronomy 6 says, as you live your life, talk about how faith has impacted it. Pastor Ryan and I on the Activate podcast this week just talk about learning how to narrate your life in every area. A lot of us do things every day that we do because of our faith in Jesus. We just don't tell the person sitting beside us. Let me tell you why I just did what I did. So we need to learn how to talk about our faith, especially around our kids or with friends who don't believe yet. Let them know how Jesus is positively impacting your life. Number two, pray for your kids. If you have children, pray for your friends who don't know Jesus. If you have friends that you're really close to who don't know Jesus. The next three steps, by the way, are all from one verse in Scripture, Job chapter 1, verse 5, where we see Job try to, try to connect his kids, his adult kids, to God Even though really he can't, we see how he tries. He starts out by praying for them. And then number three, he presents them to Jesus. He presents them to God every week. So if you have kids, you present them or you invite them to Jesus every week. It said that Job once a week would go before God on behalf of his kids. He would try to bring his kids before God in hope that if they hadn't connected with him yet, they would. I did some math this week. The average American will live 4,095 Sundays. If you live to the age of 78 and a half, you will live 4,095 Sundays. About 900 of those, you will live before the age of 19, which means mom and dad, one out of every five Sundays that your children and grandchildren will live is in your control. How are you using the 20% of Sundays God has given you with your kids to shape them for the 80% of Sundays they'll live for the rest of their life? Or do you just keep pushing them in front of Jesus? They got to make the decision on their own. But do you just keep presenting them to Jesus week after week after week? You got 20% of their Sundays so they will know how to live the rest of their Sundays. Or are the Sundays you're presenting for your kids tell them sports is really important? Or the lake is really important? Or resting among the yard is really important. How are you using your one of five that they will live? Job brought his kids before God, hoping that they would develop a relationship with God. What he did in number four, I can't explain theologically, but I've got an idea. Job asked God to forgive his kids' sins. So I would say, pray that God will forgive your kids. Pray that God will forgive your friends. You say, will God forgive them if I ask him? No. The answer is no. You cannot pray that God will forgive someone's sins. Everyone has to pray for that on their own. You say, then why would, why would you pray that God would forgive someone's sin? Here's the idea that I have. I think every time you pray for God to forgive your kid's sin or your friend's sin, it reminds you that God is really good and he's forgiving and your kids and your friends are broken. Rather than developing a thought in your mind that your kids and your friends are really, really good and the way God does things is broken. So I think it's a mindset thing that allows me every week to say before God, God, my kids are broken, they're sinful. They're going to need your forgiveness. God, my friends are broken and they're sinful. They're going to need your forgiveness. And I know you can't forgive them because I'm asking you, but I'm going to remind myself every week that you are good, you are forgiving, and they need to repent and follow you. Number five, we're going to get back to Judas now. 
Never stop loving them and caring for their life or their soul. You see, I've got a child who's rejected God. I've got a grandchild who's rejected God. I've got a spouse who's rejected God. I've got a parent who's rejected God. What do I do? Never stop loving them and never stop caring for their life or their soul. Let's get back to Judas. Anybody remember the last word that Jesus said to Judas? It was the word friend. In Matthew 26, 50, Judas brought a team of soldiers and police to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus said, do what you came for, friend. Do what you came for, friend. Do people in your life who have rejected God, rejected your God, rejected Jesus, look at you and think that you look at them like friends because you love them. That's the heart of Jesus. Do what you came for, friends. You say, I'm so offended that they, that they rejected Jesus. Listen, you will not have a friend who does to Jesus what Judas did to Jesus. And Jesus called him friend. You will not have a friend who rejects you like Judas reject, rejected Jesus. And Jesus called him friend. And part of seeing the lost world is loving the lost world. Not until they become a Christian, but until you're gone. So that you can show them the love of Jesus. Never stop loving them and caring for their life or their soul. I would say if you know they've rejected Jesus, do it more. Do it more. Do it more. You say, how's that possible? Only if you trust God. And only if you trust that he loves them more than you do. You say, Christian, when I think about the people in my life who've rejected God, it just makes me want to cry. When God thinked about people in your life who'd rejected him, it made him want to die on a cross so they could be forgiven. That is the reality of our situation. Those people who have hurt our hearts because they've rejected God, they've hurt his more. But he was willing to die for them and he hasn't given up on them yet. So six weeks, six spiritual foundations. Let's just review them real quick. Week one, my sin has to be judged. My sin caused Jesus to die on the cross until I see my plank. I can't help anyone with their speck. Number two, my Savior's available for constant relational access that will meet my physical and spiritual needs. God is good. God does want me to be fulfilled, which means everything he's told me to do, I should. Everything he's told me not to do, I shouldn't because it won't absolutely fulfill me. And then today's, it's a hard one. My path to follow Jesus is narrow. And most people are going to choose not to follow it. That's what Jesus said. You say, but Christian, what if they're my kids? Christian, what if they're my grandkids? The tension is too much. What, Christian, what do I do if my kids don't love Jesus? A couple things. One, you need to know you're not a spiritual failure. Mom and dad, you're not a spiritual failure. Adam wasn't. Noah wasn't. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob weren't. Aaron wasn't. David wasn't. None of them were perfect. But God used them all wonderfully even when their kids were not in it. You're not a spiritual failure. And secondly, if they're not dead, God's not done. So keep praying and loving. We had a tough week at our church this week. Four funerals that our church got to kind of lead the ministry through. 14-month-old baby in critical care at Children's Mercy downtown who thankfully is making a turn for the better. A grandmother of one of our team members who died at midnight last night, being number five that we're working with. 
two of the men who died were in their mid-60s who found Jesus after the age of 60 at our church and were baptized after the age of 60 at our church. Their grandparents and their parents were gone by the time they became a believer in Jesus. Imagine the surprise and the joy this week when they ran into each other in heaven. Like, you're, you're here. But my whole life you rejected Jesus. Yeah, but even when you left, Jesus did not. And he kept working. You got to tell me how this happened. Imagine the joy of parents and grandparents who live their whole life watching their kids reject Jesus and then they run into him in heaven. And imagine the shock and shame of those who had given up on their kids before Jesus did, who run into him in heaven and think, I just, I'd lost hope. If they're not dead, God's not done. And it may not be in your lifetime. Keep praying. Keep loving. Care deeply for their soul. Trust God. You say, what about those who have already died? And I'm just sure they didn't love Jesus. You have to trust the only person that's eternal. You got to trust his heart. You can have a conversation with him when you get there and say, God, help me understand. And he will. It all boils down to trusting God. The path to follow Jesus is narrow. Most people are going to choose not to follow it. But we have marching orders in how we love and care for those people as well. What has God said to you? And what do you need to do today to let God do a little surgery on your heart? We think about that as we pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. But hearts are open. This is a hard message. Hard to give, hard to hear. Not a lot of fun. Most people reject Jesus. Can you mourn that without rejecting him yourself? Adam had to, Noah had to, Abraham had to, Isaac had to, Jacob had to, Aaron had to, David had to. Can you? Can you love them well anyway? And trust God deeply for their soul? Would you ask God to help you in that so that you might show them Jesus even though they've rejected him at this point in their life? If you're here today and your whole life you've been on the broad road but it's never brought you what you've wanted and you're ready for a change of direction you're ready to surrender you're ready to trust you're ready to obey you need to know that Jesus loves you he lived for you he died so your sin could be forgiven so you could be close to him and right with God if you've never said yes to Jesus maybe today is the day that you stand outside the narrow gate and you say I'm ready to pass through surrender trust and obey. If you've never done that, you can do that right now through prayer. You can just surrender your heart and your life just right where you are. You can repeat this prayer after me or, or a prayer similar to this. Not the words of the prayer. It's the condition of your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud, but from your heart to heaven, if you need Jesus, just pray something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Just repeat it after me in your heart. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of my hurt lead me in my future today I surrender my life for the life you have for me I will trust you even in the hard things 
and I will obey you if you will help me. I ask for your salvation and I commit to follow you. If you just prayed that prayer with me in just a second, Pastor Ryan's gonna let us know how you can tell us so we can pray for you, maybe even pray with you, give you some resources to help you in your new spiritual journey. But God, as we wrap up this service, we thank you for the honesty of Jesus because it helps us build a firm foundation that withstands the storms of the people we care about most deeply rejecting you. God, help us to continue on the narrow path, but to love better than we've ever loved before and to trust more deeply than we've ever trusted. I think that's the only way forward. Personally, Lord, teach us surrender. Teach us trust. Help us to be obedient so that we might find life. Only a few find it, but we want to be a part of that few. That's our prayer. And we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen.